Today's episode is brought to you by Anchor Podcasts. They're our new partner here at the Mac Report, and their mission is to democratize audio. Anchor believed everyone should be able to have their voice heard, regardless of background or experience level. And if you've ever tried a podcast before, you know all the logistical barriers that can stand in your way. At Anchor, they aim to remove every single one of those barriers. Their goal is to make podcasting easy and fun without sacrificing the quality that every podcaster deserves. It's so easy with Anchor Podcasts, you can even create a podcast from your phone. To learn more, visit anchor.fm today. Look at this. We're back two times this week. We, you went a month without hearing from us, but here we are back for the second time this week. And today we're with Merrimack men's hockey coach, Scott Bork. We were with Joe Gallo, the men's basketball coach, a couple of days ago. You can check that out on the podcast feed or on the website if you haven't done it already. But today we're here with Scott Bork, who we have not talked to. I looked at this. We have not spoken uh, and done a podcast with him since the end of March. It's been a long time. Uh, we talked to Dan Jewell. We talked to Josh Siaka. We talked to Jordan Seifert. Uh, we talked to a lot of guys you know, with the hockey program, but we haven't done anything uh, with Coach Bork since the end of March. So we caught up on everything going on in college hockey. We talked about what we think the season could look like, uh, what we, what the plans have been in place you know, with the Merrimack program, how they've kind of handled the end of the school year and into the summer. Now's the time, and it's July 9th as I record this. Now's the time where those guys would have been on campus. I would have been scheduling – uh, freshman interviews and things like that. Obviously, that stuff's not happening because nobody's on campus yet. But uh, we talked about just what the summer looks like, what they've been doing, uh, guys getting back on the ice, what the plans could look like for the fall, uh, what a season could look like. We obviously know the, the Ivies had their decision the other day that they weren't going to play uh, any of their fall sports. But I just saw something before I started recording this at the Big Ten. According to ESPN, looks like they may go to a conference-only schedule for the fall. So that at least is something. Uh, and with Hockey East, we talked about this in the interview, but with Hockey East, I mean, geez, is there a, a, an easier league across any college sport in the country to do conference-only schedule than Hockey East? Hockey East could do an entire conference-only schedule and theoretically would never have to have a team spend the night in a hotel. I mean, may, maybe UMass and UConn and Providence and stuff like that in, in Maine and in Vermont, but theoretically a lot of the teams at least half the league could probably never spend the night in a hotel if they didn't want to merrimack you know let's just use merrimack as an example they could go up and back to vermont in one day they could go up and back to maine in one day uh, same thing with with umass and yukon which are the farthest one south so you could play a conference only schedule and half your teams never even have to set foot in a hotel it's just bus trips i think you're doing pretty well so we'll see i mean if i, I think it's a it's a good news that the big 10 made the decision they made uh, to go conference only in the fall, because I think that's at least a step in the right direction. If the big 10, I mean, we talk about the power five conferences and how they have kind of autonomy to do whatever they want and make rules for everybody else. If the big 10 said, Hey, we're not playing, we're canceling two. Well, I think that would really lead to a domino effect. I mean, people were kind of worried yesterday about the Ivies and said, okay, well the, the Ivy league, are they the first one, you know, the Ivies make this decision and then other ones are going to make the same decision. Just the Ivies were the first one to take that step. I talked to some football people, uh, not head coaches, but people involved in college football who said to me yesterday, and I think this is uh, legitimate, no offense to the Ivy League schools, but 
they kind of laughed at that and said, like, what, what do you think the Ivy League schools, what, the decision of the Ivy League schools is going to have an effect on what the Big Ten or the Big 12 or the ACC or the SEC, what they do with their football conferences? You know, they kind of laughed and they were like, you know, do people in the Big Ten office even know what the Ivy League schools did today? Who knows? They might not even know. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I mean, obviously they do. I think the announcement that they or the, the, I don't know if they announced anything, ESPN had a report, but the fact that that came out today is, um, yeah, so that it's now coming out on the athletic as well. So not only did ESPN have it, but the athletic is also now reporting it. So it would seem that that has gotten out today and probably was gotten out purposely that the Big Ten is going to probably go conference only in the fall. Again, uh, I think that's a step in the right direction. And you you want to keep people as safe as possible, obviously, but uh, if you can figure out a way for pro sports to return, I've got kids involved in youth sports. They're figuring out ways for youth sports to return, obviously with a plan in place. But uh, you've got colleges here that that can test people and have the money to and the resources to do some of that stuff. You can figure out a way to get the kids, the the college hockey season, get the, the players to be playing their college hockey again this coming winter. And I think it's the same goes with some of these other sports as well, all of them really. Uh, you'd be doing it without crowds for sure, but there's ways that you can put a season together. Uh, taking some risk, like the risk is never going to be zero, but you try to mitigate that risk as best you can and uh, uh, play without fans and stuff like that, but try to do it in a way that you can still allow uh, the players the chance to, to play the game. If, if other sports can do it, if youth sports can do it, I think the NCAA and their conferences can figure out a way to do it, and it seems like they are. Uh, the Ivy Leagues chose not to, but it seems like some other leagues are, are going to choose to do so. So that, that's a step in the right direction. Uh, we talked about a lot though. Um, we talked about a lot. So it's about a 30 minute interview. We also break down the incoming freshman class. Uh, we talked a little bit about these guys in other podcasts, but we kind of wrapped them all up in one big thing. Got final thoughts from coach Bork on the new guys coming in. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot that we talk about on this episode. Be sure to check it all out. And again, also check out the episode with Joe Gallo from a couple of days ago. If you haven't already, we talked with him about the end of their basketball season, uh, winning the NEC in the regular season, what it was like to kind of go into the season, not thinking you'd have a postseason because they're going through the D1 transition. And then halfway through the year, think that the postseason's a possibility because you can go to the CBI or the CIT. I uh, think that you're going to one of those tournaments. And then after you win the NEC regular season, shocking everybody, uh, you end up not even having the chance to go to the postseason anyway because the entire postseason was canceled. So it was kind of a weird dynamic for them. But uh, we talked about a lot of things men's basketball related with him earlier on this week. So make sure you check that one out as well. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break, though. When we come back, we will have the head coach of the Merrimack men's hockey team, Scott Borg. Sage, what about this stick? I like the orange in it. No, Mom, what is this? This stick is so dusty. There's no more Genos left in it. I can take it from here, Mom. What kind of tweet are we looking for here, bud? Just a stick so I could toss sauce Chef Boyardee style. Something more apples versus buckets. Yeah, as long as I could still snipe Bar South and Sally. All right, I got the perfect tweet for you. It's going to be this stick here, mid-flex point stick, completely accurate for buy down every time. This is awesome. I love it. TSR Hockey. We speak your language. All right, we're here with Merrimack men's hockey coach Scott Bohr. Coach, we haven't talked in a while. I think the last time uh, you and I did one of these was back in end of March, early April. Uh, we talked to a couple of the assistants and, and, and even Jordan Seifert a few weeks back. But how have you been uh, over the last couple of months? You know what? It's it's certainly been a, a lifestyle adjustment. I think it's true. Any 
coach would say that right now, who's used to being on the road, who's used to traveling quite a bit at this time and being around the rank. And, you know, we'd have our guys in summer school right now if it was a normal, normal uh, year. Um, but, you know, I've been good. It's been a good, it's been a great family time, great opportunity to catch up, um, you know, read some good books and do some different things. But, you know, we're ready to move on. Uh, certainly I'm ready to move on and move into the next stage, hopefully, of getting, um, I don't know, beyond this is the right word, but getting our team you know, one step closer, I hope. Um, but doing okay. I appreciate it. I hope you are as well and your family. Yeah, we're hanging, like you said, a lot of family time. It's been good. I mean, I haven't been home this much in forever i don't think any of us have been <laughs> so it was kind of a exactly. nice a nice reset especially like we got younger kids so they weren't you know we weren't running them to a practice we didn't have a game to go to like we there was two months there where we weren't doing it, or three months where we had nothing to do so i think the kids were getting a little anxious but it was kind of nice to just be able to take a breath you know no i agree it's funny it uh i think it's been hardest on the kids and the younger kids because they you know, it's hard for them to understand it. And, exactly, and they yeah. get out and, you know, they just want to hang and go run around the field or do whatever they're going to do with their buddies. And, you know, that first, uh, the first month of uh, quarantine and keeping people home was, was uh, fun, but really trying on the nerves for everybody in the house. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm happy we've moved a, a couple steps beyond that, but, you know, hopefully we can keep going forward. Uh, so what kind of is the plan? I, I guess where do you guys kind of stand as a program? I know, like you said, this would have been the time that I would have been trying to coordinate some interviews with freshmen who are on campus. Usually you're bringing the guys in now. They do some summer classes, uh, start training and stuff like that. Uh, is that, I mean, obviously they're not on campus, but are they still, are summer classes still a thing? Like, how has it been just, I guess, kind of keeping in touch with those guys at a time when, at least from the freshman standpoint, you would have had most of them on campus? Yeah, no, I think that uh, actually what happened last year is we had almost the whole team because we had the freshmen, which is 16 players, and then many of the other players joined them. So we had almost a whole team on campus, which was really, it was a really uh, good summer for us. Um, but, you know, we, what we've tried to do, what we've focused on as a staff is, you know, we want to stay as connected as possible to our team, individual, all the individual members of it, and then as a group. So we have really focused on meeting um once a week as a whole group and then making sure we're meeting in smaller groups you know, every couple of weeks with coaches and, you know, being on the phone and doing the zoom and, and those kinds of things. And it's been uh, as good as it could be. I think, you know, I think uh, our strength coach has done a great job, Mike Kamal of communicating with our, our group and keeping us doing everything we could do physically, you know, for a long time and still probably in some areas the gyms aren't open uh, Mike was able to put together programs for them that you know, kind of had three levels, you know, one with no equipment, uh, one with some equipment that is usually around your home, uh, and another one with, uh, you know, full access to equipment. And I think, our, I think it was really beneficial to our players. I think it really got our guys excited because he gave them all a chance to work out, all a chance to get better, uh, and that was a real positive for us. And I could, couldn't uh, thank Mike enough of uh, realizing the different challenges that different kids faced and realizing that some kids would have more than others and some kids would be in better places and better positions to do things. That has been a real positive for us. Um, and then, the, you know, we've been on these Zooms and we've had some guest speakers and um, that's been really positive. I've, I've uh, felt really good about that, gotten a lot out of it myself. Um, and I think our team has been, you know, we're, 
we're doing what we can to get better. And in some cases, that just means we got to get closer. And in other cases, that means maybe we start going over actual hockey stuff. But right now, we're just really focused on getting better as a team, uh, being a better team, staying connected as a team, and staying safe for ourselves and our families. Uh, at this point, I would assume, I mean, are, the, are the, the incoming freshmen involved in that stuff as well? I mean, obviously, when this first happened, some of those guys were finishing up prep schools and, and, and stuff like that. But, I mean, now that we're into the summer and virtual graduations and all that stuff has happened, are they kind of fully integrated in everything you've been doing now? Now the freshmen are. Um, and they weren't, you know, when we first started that in, in March or in the beginning of April, uh, they were not able to be part of it because they had to get out of high school first. Um, before you could kind of officially start their connection with us. Uh, but now we have the whole group, uh, and it's been really good. You know, it's a tough way for a freshman, and I, I re- you know, really respect the you know, seven freshmen we have coming in because they're on every call. Uh, they're trying to participate, uh, and that's a hard thing, you know, when you're meeting guys over a computer versus meeting guys, yeah. you know, in person. It's a tough thing to, to do, but uh, to this point, I've been really impressed with the way they've handled it. And, uh, you know, I think everybody understands we're in a new world right now, uh, but everybody has, you know, the whole country, the whole world has the same challenge. So how we handle it um, could make a big difference in what we do in the future, and that's what we're trying to focus on. Uh, I I know every state's different. I don't know what it looks like up in in Canada where some of the guys are from and stuff like that. But now that, at least around here, some of the rinks are opening, do you know our guys – that you've talked to been able to get on the ice yet? I mean, even if it's not anything that's real regimented, I'm sure just three months without getting on the ice is probably the longest these guys have not been in skates for, you know, since they were kids, if not, you know, before they started playing hockey, a lot of kids now they're on the ice even throughout the spring and the summer. So a three month break like that for a lot of these guys, I would imagine is the longest they've gone without skating maybe since they were mites. No, I agree. And, and, you know, in some ways, uh, I think that's a really good thing. I mean, forget about why this happened. Uh, just focus on the fact that they took their feet out of the skates. Uh, they took their time to focus on something else, kind of a mind wash. Uh, took their time to focus on physical conditioning, however they could do it. Um, you know, I think for probably every guy on our team, it's the longest they've been off the skates since they were five years old. Uh, and yet, I think that part of it, was a positive. Like in my mind, I never worried about that. I never thought that was a negative. I think that was a great respite from the game. Uh, let your mind rest on your improvement uh, and just focus on other things. And, and that's, I think that makes you a better player. Um, and then, you know, now we have probably in the last three to four weeks, uh, some ranks have opened in different areas, different guys are getting more or less ice. Um, you know, the hardest thing for me, or not the hardest thing, but one of the things that ha- I've had to do with, some of the guys, because of where they're from, the rinks aren't open, and they're starting to worry about the fact that, um, you know, other guys are on the ice, other teammates, other opponents, and, you know, I, I just try to, you know, take the stress off of that and then let them know, number one, just go out and improve as an athlete, and if you do those things to improve as an athlete, that will translate to the ice yeah. uh, when you finally get on the ice. So, you know, there have been some guys getting a little nervous about that haven't been able to get back on. For the most part, I would say probably 60 to 70% of our players are now on the ice in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but the other 30 are in situations uh, where they just can't get, get the ice. Yeah, it seems like, too, I mean, uh, you go through some of the bios on the website. Like, a lot of the guys that you have now, too, were athletes. They weren't necessarily – I mean, they're obviously hockey players, but uh, there's a lot of guys where, you know, you kind of read their bio and they, they say that they were – 
you know, played multiple varsity sports in high school and things like that. So I mean, that seems to be a big part of it. Work on being an athlete as much as being a hockey player. You know, I, I think one of the reasons, you know, we had uh, three players play prep school hockey this year. Uh, in all three cases, they were wearing a letter. Uh, in all three cases, they had chances to leave prep school and go play junior hockey. Uh, and we supported them staying where they were because they were playing other sports, which I think is a great thing to develop your game. You have to, uh, they right? Were leaders of, you, ha- you have to, exactly. Yeah. It's a requirement. It don't, they don't have choices. So I think that's a really positive thing uh, that they got to do that. And then they got to wear letters on the sweater. And that, to me, is you know, that's, a, that's not something that people take that for granted. I, I was captain. But you know what? You don't get to be that very often in your life. You don't get to be the go-to guy in very many arenas in your life. And when you have that chance, you need to take advantage of it. And, and we think that's a really important development piece. And that's why we left them there and suggested they stay there. Uh, I think it worked out really well. But the other four guys are also play, players that all four of them have played uh, some other sport, at least until, until high school, um, before they you know, ended up uh, focusing on hockey. I think that you know, everybody talks about the specialization and how that's getting in the way and of development. But I think there is... You know, in some areas of the world, a little bit of a movement to playing other sports as, uh, as well. And I think that's a really positive thing for our game. Uh, looking ahead and kind of maybe making you try to predict the future a little bit, we've spent a lot of talk, especially now. I mean, football teams are supposed to go to camp in a couple of weeks. What's going to happen there? We saw what the Ivy League did this week. They moved, I think, all their fall sports to the spring and stuff like that. Uh what do you think college hockey will look like in the fall? I mean, some schools seem to be in better situations than others uh, when it comes to welcoming kids back and having plans in place. If you had to kind of put the or take a look into the crystal ball and try to figure out what college hockey might look like this season, where where do you think it's going to look like? How prepared, I guess, uh, does Merrimack seem to to get going once you know whatever the season's going to look like? How, how prepared do you feel you guys are to jump into it? And what do you think it's going to look like? Well, obviously, I can't speak for other schools and other programs, but it, I, Merrimack has done a fabulous job. Um, our leadership team has got our school in as good a place as you could possibly be getting ready to you know, reenter the campus and try to normalize our lifestyles. It's not going to be that way for a long time, but at least giving people the outlets and the opportunities that we, you know, we had promised them in, in, in the past. Um, you know, they've done a really good job. I think our campus, I mean, I probably am not allowed to speak to the model that they have, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of testing going to be involved in our, on our campus. Uh, I think there's a real high level of preparation uh, right now taking place at Merrimack that's going to allow our school to start up uh, at the, in late August, early September. Uh, and then, obviously, then the next step is going to be how you integrate the, you know, the sports teams and, and particularly the contact sports teams Uh, into their schedules. And I think, you know, in only talking to uh, coaches, I think coaches are, are, most of them are optimistic uh, that our teams are moving towards a start date uh, that would be in the fall. Um, I would, I don't know if it's realistic to think we'll start in October. Uh, I I just don't, nothing's happened to our schedule. We have games scheduled for October 9th and 10th uh, at Penn state. I think or maybe it's eighth or ninth. Um, And, you know, I've talked to Penn State recently, and those games are still in the books, still scheduled. Uh, so nothing's happened that would say that we're not going to play, uh, from the at least from a scheduling standpoint. Uh, but I think the most important thing for coaches and for programs and for administrators is 
Number one, we have to be responsible. Uh, number two, we have to be flexible. And number three, I think we have to take the level of responsibility part, but most of it, if not the 90% of it is about the safety of the people on our campus and on your campus. But the other 10%, I believe, and, and I don't, maybe I'm uh, in the minority here is trying to bring things back to the young people in, in uh, their lives that, uh, that they can thrive in. Uh, and if they're willing, I mean, just think about what a team will go through this year to play. If we go through the testing weekly and if we go through someone, you know, coming down with a positive test, having a quarantine or having to shelter themselves. And we go through some things we all are sacrificing for each other. Um, you know, I'm not one of those people who looks at this and says, Oh my gosh, is it a good thing? Obviously it's not people have uh, lost family members and some horrible things have happened in this uh, pandemic, but there's also the other side of it that if just, we take the other side and try to see what can come out of this for the young people in our world. Um, and my responsibility is our hockey team. I'm excited to, to help steer that ship and, uh, and help good things come of it. Yeah. And I think there's a way there to figure it out. You know, I mean, Obviously, pro sports are coming back. You know, Major League Baseball, the NHL, the NBA, they're all starting up again soon. Uh, again, I don't know what it's like in every state, but in Massachusetts, youth sports are starting back up again. I've taken my son to a rink later on today, and we've got a baseball practice tomorrow. And I mean, so if there's, I mean, there's always going to be a risk, right? But like you said, I think it's about kind of mitigating that risk as much as you can, but trying to get some sense of normalcy back. It's not going to be normal probably until there's a vaccine that who knows when that's going to be, but I don't think we need to be stuck in our houses for a year until that happens. I think we can, there's going to be a risk, right? But if you can kind of safely approach things and approach things in the safest way you can, you can try to to move forward and, and keep things as normal as possible when it comes to sports. I mean, the NHL is going to hub cities. The NBA is uh, going to like their own little bubble down there in Orlando Major League Baseball is going to travel like usual in home stadiums. I mean, maybe it's something with college sports. I know I talked to somebody about this the other day. Maybe you end up in a situation where, hey, the schedule might get reshaped a little bit and it's a little more regional. But at least from a Hockey East perspective, I mean, you guys are already pretty regional as it is. I mean, really, even with the non-conference games, with you know your schedule in particular, everything is a bus ride from what I can tell, right? Maybe Penn State. Well, it is. Or, yeah, Bemidji's it, coming no, in this Penn year. Penn State so. we could bust to, too. Yeah. So, yeah I no, mean, Penn every, State we could bust to as well. Every road trip for you guys this year would, would be a bus, which I think would be a big help. That, that's a, a lot different than having to take guys through an airport and put them on an airplane. Yeah, no, and we actually, when this first happened, uh, we were obviously in the process of kind of scheduling our travel for next year, for this coming season. Um, and we immediately made the decision okay, we're not going to fly to Penn State. Because there's really two, you can fly to Penn State, it gains you a few hours, get you off the bus, but it doesn't gain you enough to, for the risk involved. Every, yeah, uh, so what's it's it like eight hours maybe? You know, eight hours, seven and a half to eight and a half hours. You know, they flew to us last year, but obviously they're in a totally different situation. They chartered. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but for, for us, you know, we'll, we can bus there, no big deal. Uh, we bus to Colgate, not a big deal. Uh, for our league, uh, you could, you know, you could actually have, they could construe the, or construct the schedule so that everything was out and back games where even when we're supposed to go to Vermont, 
we just go to Vermont twice, you know, two different times, you know, yeah, if, yeah. Um, there's going to be big windows in schools calendars that you're already hearing about how people are adjusting their school calendar. There's going to be big windows where uh, you being off campus for on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, it's not going to be a big deal. Um, so I think we have more days to play when that, when the calendars for schools comes out with that do not affect the classroom situation. Uh, I think we are very lucky to be in hockey East and have basically a complete bus league uh, and day trips. Uh, if you want to make them that. Uh, so I think we have a, a, a nice t- situation relative to the rest of the country. Um, but, you know, I think we just need people to stay on the positive side of this and, you know, I know it's, it's easy to say no, and it's easy to say close. It's easy to do all those things. And, you know, I, I get that. And I, and I, and I am responsible and I am responsible for our team. And I want to make sure that our guys are 100% healthy through this, but there's two sides to that. And, and mental health is an issue that, uh, you know, I, not an issue, I shouldn't say, but is a, is a focus of going back to school. You know, I think it's a focus for the whole country, but it's a focus for me with our program. And the other part of that, obviously, is going to be uh, classes. The, the big topic that seems to be coming up a lot is classes being held in classrooms because there was something that I think came out with immigration this week where they were talking about uh, if schools are, are exclusively online, students may have a harder time getting back into the country if they're already out of the country and student visas and things like that. And the second I read that story, the, hockey was the immediate thing I thought of because, I mean, with the amount of Canadian players and, and European players – I could be wrong. I don't know the dynamics of other sports, but hockey might be the most international sport of any college sport, just because of the fact that there's so many Canadians playing. So that was the first thing I thought of when I saw that. Of like, oh, you could have a situation where if a school is exclusively online, you might have players that just physically might not be able to be there to play. But hopefully, hopefully that's not a, an issue. I mean, I guess if if the schools are back in some sort of session and they're holding classes uh, in person in classrooms, it doesn't sound like that's going to be a huge issue. Well, I think, it, you know, obviously that's going to depend on, you know, school to school because that, you know, right now I still has that, you know, that did come out and it seems like it's, uh, I know it's, I think uh, Harvard, MIT and Northeastern are suing the government to get that yeah. changed. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Merrimack, and, and this is one of the things I really respect about our leadership on campus has, you know, they, they see, the college experience as a residential experience. And that's a focus for our, for our community. So we are having classes in the classroom. They'll be adjusted. I'm sure there'll be different uh, you know, ways that looks, uh, there'll probably see some, would be some classes, the bigger lecture hall type classes that will be, you know, online, uh, but there'll be, uh, and I don't know the percentage on campus, but a large percent of, of our students are going to be in classrooms uh, and I think that's great. And I think um, that is uh, people understanding what college really is. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's ways around that too. The the school, just to use an example, the school my kids go to was the same school my wife works at. And they were talking about a situation where maybe you've got a class of 20 kids. Well, maybe you, you alternate days where they are physically in the classroom. So you only have 10 kids in a room at a time, but then you set up a camera in the back of the room so there's 10 kids in the room, and there's 10 kids that are streaming that class online from their homes. And then the next day, it switches. Those 10 stay home, and the other 10 are actually in the building. So each kid gets an exposure to 
you know, the professor or the teacher without physically having to be in the room every single day. So, I mean, there's, if you're, like you said, if, if you've got strong leaders in place, there's ways to kind of think outside the box and put a plan together that, that can make something like that work. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that's uh, certainly part of Merrimack's plan is just what you just, what you just described. But um, no, I, I think it's, it's about appreciating what the experience is and what you're trying to give your, your community. And uh, I've, I'm really excited about the way we've gone about it, our school and, and our leadership has. And uh, I, we're going to have bumps, you know, and some people will say, oh, yeah, see what happened. They have, you know, 10 cases on campus now. And you know what? How does the school react? Well, I can tell you I'm confident in how Merrimack's going to react and how Merrimack's going to take care of the students if, if they, or, or faculty or staff that have that happen. Um, and how they're going to take care of the rest of the, the campus. I think there's been great thought that has gone into that, and um, and I'm confident in it. So that's my hope is that we can continue down that road and that hockey will follow suit with the rest of the campus. Uh, let's finish up. We talked a lot about some of the recruits uh, kind of over the course of the year once they had signed NLIs and stuff like that, but I don't know that we touched on everybody. So I, I want to – you guys announced your recruiting class a couple of weeks ago in full, and if we can, maybe just kind of run down – uh, each of these guys and get some quick thoughts on all of them. Um, we'll start, I'll just go in order and how they were in the list. Connor Lovett was a guy that I know was being recruited by, by some other hockey East teams out of Lawrence Academy. When you guys picked him up, I think it was January or February, uh, seemed to really be making some noise this year, had scored some points, but is a guy that from what I understand is, is known for the edge that he plays with as much as the, or the edge and the tenacity, I guess, in which he plays as much as his ability to, to put up some points. Yeah, the, the nice thing about Connor is he can play in every situation. Uh, he has good offense to his game. Um, but what I really appreciate about his game is how hard he plays. He plays fast and hard. Um, he's going to you know, be in puck battle. He's going to put himself in a difficult areas on the rink. Um, and his, his effort and compete is really strong. And I think that um, you know, when he was a younger player, he may have been a skill-based player. He grew a lot uh, and kind of, you know, he was really high on the radar and, and he grew a lot and kind of stayed at, I think, at Mansfield High one year longer to play with his brother, um, kind of got off the recruiting scene. And then uh, when he went to Lawrence, uh, both uh, his junior year and then last year really came back to his game. And uh, he's going to help us in a myriad of different ways, but his compete is something you'll recognize right away. Uh, Mark Hillier is a guy that we did talk about, uh, set some scoring records at, at um at St. Andrews this year, but uh, what, I mean, what did you, I know you watched him towards the end of the year. And I think I, rem, I was looking at the, the zoom call you did uh, with, with Will, when you announced the class, I didn't actually realize that. So you were originally looking at him as probably coming in a year from now, but then watched him late in the year and said, no, we got to bring this guy in now. Well, Mark is, is an interesting case because he's, um, you know, he's played a lot of the sports, played a lot of street hockey in Newfoundland. He was on the Newfoundland national team uh, for street hockey, uh, ball hockey, I guess they call it. Um, but he's really, really smart. So we wanted, he's a long body, he's a light body right now. And we felt originally that, you know what, maybe if he goes and plays a year of junior, uh, that's going to allow him to get stronger. And uh, what I, like, the conversation I had with Will was that when I went to the game and they were playing Nicholas in the league championship, uh, and the first four goals that his team scored, he, he was one goal and three assists. <laughs> and you just don't see guys who move the puck like he does. Um, I want him to be, uh, take his own shot more. 
but he's got real high IQ. He really makes the players around him better. Uh, he moved the puck. He broke the record. The, the record he broke was uh, Warren Fogles, who we recruited to UNH. And, uh, you know, as Dave Manning, the coach, would say, that was a time when St. Andrews was building and their schedule was not nearly as difficult as it was this year. And he just, you know, Mark basically averaged two over two points a game. And so um, no need for him to play junior and get stronger. Uh, hopefully he's getting the opportunity to do that right now. I mean, that was the original plan of doing it on our campus. But uh, he's ready uh, emotionally and mentally and, and maturity-wise to, to play college hockey, and we're excited about it. I know you've said a lot of the same things about the next guy, too, who we've talked a lot about, Alex Jeffries. Both Jeffries and Hillier are, are going to hope to hear their names called in the NHL draft, which I read today sounds like it's going to be sometime around October. Uh, but we've talked, obviously, a lot about Jeffries. But, yeah, another guy uh, who's going to come in right out of prep school but could and should have a, an immediate impact on this team. He, he should, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm confident in him. His his um, ability to, you know, very similar to Mark, where he moves the puck uh, and finds people in situations where, you know, sometimes it surprises you. Uh, if you're playing with him, just go to the net, you know, he'll find you. Uh, but he also can shoot the puck like a pro right now. And I think that is um, really a positive for his game, is that he, he's not afraid to shoot. He's a lot like Chase Greesock. He doesn't miss the, match, miss the net much. Uh, most shots are on net. Um, and he scores, you know, uh, a lot of goals. And I think that what he went through to get to Merrimack um, is really exciting both for him personally, because it tells you who he is, uh, and exciting for our program because it tells you where he thinks it's going and where we think it's going. So I am, uh, you know, I'm excited. All three of those players are true freshmen, but they're true freshmen for a reason because they're, they're ready to be, and, and uh, we're very excited about each of them. Uh, a guy that I don't think we talked very much about, even though he had a great year, was uh, Jacob Lee out of Brooks. He's an Ontario native, uh, was a, a huge scorer for them this year, is going to come in older than those other guys and like Hillier and Jeffrey, so maybe uh, obviously a little more mature in his game. But what I thought was interesting is not only did he have 74 points in 42 games, which is crazy numbers, I think he was one of the top scorers in the Alberta League this year, he was named not only his team's best forward, he was also named his team's best defensive forward. So uh, what what do you kind of see from him? It seems like he's a, a pretty well-rounded player who's going to be able to score. Well, and Jake is, an, you know, basically one, one of the most important reasons about having him come in is is his maturity uh, as a young man. He's he's older. He's been through the, the different trials and tribulations of junior hockey. He's had his successes and his failures. Uh, in junior hockey that are going to help him be more successful consistently in college. Uh, he's, he's certainly was their captain. Um, he's definitely a future leader, uh, if not a leader of that class. Um, and he just plays on both sides of the puck. He's a 200-foot player. Uh, I would suggest that as a true freshman, those three guys, you know, that's something they're going to have to develop, all three of them. Uh, Jake has developed that, and that's why he was such an important recruit for us. Um, he comes into a team that – I think is ready for a player like him to make an impact uh, because he'll play 200 feet. He'll be able to play in all situations. He'll give us something, you know, without the puck that maybe some other guys won't do originally. Um, and I think that's really important to our success. And so, you know, and, and you talk to Jake Lee, he has a presence. Uh, he's going to have a presence in our locker room right away. And so we're, we were really excited about, about getting him uh, at the time we recruited him. We didn't have Connor, I uh, love it. We didn't have Alex Jeffries locked up, and we weren't sure on Mark Hillier. So um, the fact that we got all four of those players 
is is a huge step for our program and um, we're excited about Jake. I'm excited about what he's going to do on our campus as much as in our locker room. Uh, the last three guys, I don't think we talked much about at all over the course of the year. Some of them were recruited later. Some of them, uh, I think, maybe hadn't signed yet, so we couldn't talk about it. But Kevin Sadowski is the only defenseman in the class. Uh, he was added later. In fact, I think he had committed after we last did one of these podcasts. So I don't think we talked about him at all. Right. But, uh, what What do you see in him? his addition to the class? Uh, Florida native. A lot of hockey players coming out of Florida now, it seems like. But uh, what what does he bring as the only defenseman in the class? Well, you know what? I think he brings an upside. Uh, he's a long body. He had a really good year in Utica. Um, he skates well. Uh, and, and I think he is just touching where his game can go. Uh, he's an athlete first. Like, even when guys play other sports, a lot of, you know, they're hockey players first and they're athletes. You know, Kevin, I feel, is an athlete first. And I think that his game will develop rapidly when he gets, in a, gets challenged, like he'll be challenged at Merrimack. Um, the nice thing from our team perspective is, you know, we return all eight defensemen. So, you know, he's got time to develop. I know he's going to be on, you know, going to want to develop as quickly as possible. But from our perspective, he has time to develop, to work his way through it, be around some really good players and help his game grow. Uh, he hasn't been challenged nearly to the level he will be challenged uh, at Merrimack in Hockey East. Uh, but I, I think he has it. Uh, I think he has it. You know, he wanted to go to Merrimack. He played for the Islanders a long, a long time ago, uh, and he wanted to go to Merrimack. And that, that means something to us. And, and uh, I'm excited he made the decision. I'm excited we got the opportunity to recruit him. And, and I'm really looking forward to see where his progress takes him. Uh, Philip Carlson Tagstrom is a player who uh, came over this year, played in the USHL only early in the season. He got hurt and he was out for the rest of the season. So uh, I don't know much about him. Obviously, didn't really see him play. Or didn't see him play at all. Did not, not only did I not really see him play, didn't see him play at all because I uh, hadn't seen any of the stuff when he was playing over in Sweden. And then, of course, got hurt early on in the year that, uh, this past season. But what are some of the, the intangibles he brings to the table? Well, number one, he's a really mature kid. You know, he played a lot of hockey uh, going into this year. Uh, he's really mature. I loved recruiting him because he's a really outgoing uh, young guy. And, and his visit to campus was really positive. He fit in with our players really well, both our Swedes as well as our the rest of our locker room. I think our guys really liked him. Uh, and I really respect what he went through this year. So he came over. He was already injured over the summer, came to Sioux Falls, uh, played five games. His shoulder went out again. Uh, had the opportunity to get uh, the full uh, labrum surgery in Sweden. Uh, and he, he would have to miss the year. But it would allow him to be healthy for the summer and train to play college hockey. And his coach was Scott Owens, who's a friend of mine. Um, and, you know, Scott fully supported him going to get that surgery versus trying to play through it. Um, and that's what he did. Um, the thing I – and I tell our guys this all the time. Like, you recruit a lot with your eyes, but you also need to recruit with your ears and you need to do a lot of that recruiting, know who to trust and then trust them. And, you know, when Scott, uh, Scott Owens and I talked about this young man in August, um, he sounded like a player that, you know, we were, we wanted to recruit heavily. And then uh, when he got to Sioux Falls, we were able to see him early in the year. You know, he has an explosiveness to his game uh, that we haven't had. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see him play that way. And um, he's played a lot of center. He's not a big guy, but he plays in the middle of the rank. He plays between the dots. Uh, I think he will put up points, uh, but a very smart player, um, kind of a courageous player. 
Uh, and a guy, I think, again, he'll add to the maturity of our freshman class. But, you know, I'm excited to see what happens with him because he's been through an awful lot already. And uh, it could be a really good, you know, start of his career and a four-year career. Uh, and then the last guy coming in is a goaltender, Zach Borgiel. Uh Coming into a situation where obviously you had the three freshmen last year, two of them played you know, quite a bit. So he's stepping into a situation where uh, it seems like he's going to be able to challenge those guys for playing time right away. And you're going to have you know your your pick when it comes to to goalies on a weekly basis because you looks like you're going to have uh, the two freshmen obviously who played a lot last year, and then Borgil seems like from the numbers he put up this past season in the BCHL that he's going to come in and challenge those guys for time right away. I think he will. Uh, I think that, um, you know, we had some, you know, we obviously had our struggles as a team defensively. And unfortunately, our goalies were the victims of that uh, early in the year last year, maybe in the whole first half. Uh, as our game grew defensively and our five freshman defensemen got accustomed uh, and our goalies got to face, uh, what I would say, more routine shots, um, you know, they, their game came up with that as well. But I think it was no secret that, we needed more consistency from that position and we needed to uh, be stronger there. And that's why we recruited Zach uh, to add to the competitive level of it. Um, that doesn't mean he's going to step over anyone. He's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to crawl over people uh, because you know what? Uh, Yuri and, and Troy are, are both extremely hard workers. Uh, you know, James Corcoran, who we have not talked about is someone who works very, very hard every single day. Um, the thing I like about Zach Borgil is he's got a real presence in the room. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think it's, you know, it's our job as a staff to make sure that, you know, that position is as sound as possible. And I think we really raised the competitive level by bringing uh, Zach in. Uh, and now, you know, those guys will see, you know, raise their games and, you know, whichever one can take the net and the guys will want to play in front of, and that's the person who will play. But um, I really like, you know, every one of our goalies brings something different. Um, and, and Zach is, is similar. He's, he commands a room very well. So it will be, a, it'll be an interesting fall or whenever we start um, for those four players uh, to work our way through it. And, you know, we'll give them all a chance and, and see where we get. But, um, you know, I think Zach does bring a unique presence to us. And, again, he had a, played for another friend of mine, had a really good year. In the, in the middle of the year, he had a, a kind of a dip. Uh, and the thing that got me excited about recruiting him was that he got himself out of that dip and then you know, went on to have a really good finish. You know, he kind of exploded out of the gate, like almost a 940 save percentage in the first month and a half. Um, then it, it normalized and, you know, he didn't have a really good month. And then uh, the other guy at, at Cow Valley got some ice time and then he took the net back and, and had a great run to finish. So, uh, I like the fact that he's dealt with that adversity already, so I think it makes it uh, easier for him to deal with it moving into our season. Having four goalies on a roster, too, it's, it's, it's not totally abnormal. I mean, you look around, the, around college hockey, there's plenty of teams that are carrying four goalies. A lot of them, I don't know that the majority are now, but it's certainly not going to be the first time that it's happened. Uh, but when you're kind of recruiting a goalie and you've already got you know three on the roster, especially three that are all freshmen, is that kind of a difficult sell to a guy to be like, hey, come in and you're going to be among four instead of just among three. I mean, to, I would imagine some kids would look at it as, you know, it's just, it's more competition for playing time. Well, I think that just tells you about the guy you recruited, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if, if um, you know, it's because not only Zach had this one choice, you know, he had other choices. And I think that, um, you know, it tells you who he is. It tells you what he thinks of his game because he's willing to step into that, into that battle. And um, the fact that, uh, you know, the other guys all, you know, 
made the decision to stay and compete, that tells you who they are too. So I don't think it's abnormal these days. Um, and I think it's, it's an exciting, we have an exciting, you know, month ahead of us when we start playing just to see how that uh, competition, you know, sorts, sorts itself out. But I'm really, the thing, one of the things that excited me about Zach is he made the decision with three goalies, freshmen already here to come. Uh, and that tells you what his confidence level is. And that could be exciting. All right, awesome. Well, we, hey, we appreciate the time. It was good to talk some hockey, and hopefully in a couple of months we're, we're watching some hockey just like we used to. <laughs> I hope so, but I really appreciate it and everything you do for Merrimack and for our program. But, uh, you know, let's start talking positive. Let's see if we can move this thing and, and help, uh, you know, help, help our guys get back in the classrooms and get back in the rank and get things going forward again. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. That way it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one simple place. We use Anchor here for the TMR podcast, and it could not be easier. Download the free Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike McMahon CHN, and you can follow the site at The Mac Reports. If you're a Facebook user, you can also find us on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, Bye.